Welcome to the First Church Message of the Week podcast. Thanks for listening in. At the center of this week's text is a throne, but whose or what is it? What does that represent? Eventually, John, writer of Revelation, tells us that in the center of all that is a lamb who sits on the throne, an unmistakable reference to Jesus. How do we live a life that reflects this scene with all that we do and all that we're circling around, honoring the one, the only one, who sits on the throne of God? In our message of the week, Pastor Jen Tyler continues our sermon series titled The End of the Bible as We Know It with a message from Revelation chapter 5 and John's vision of worship. Here is the First Church message of the week. Why don't you pray with me? Lord God, as we listen for your word in this time, we ask that you would open our ears that we might hear you clearly, open our eyes that we might see you more clearly, and our hearts that we might love you more deeply, as you rid us from any and all distractions so that all that we see and hear and know and feel and speak are of you. Amen. So last week, we started this new sermon series on the book of the Revelation to John that we have titled, The End of the Bible as We Know It. And we started with an introduction to this book by talking about how it probably isn't everything that we think it is, but rather this truly is a book meant to give us hope. Among the many things that we talked about Revelation not being, we also talked about what it is. We talked about how it is an invitation to know and remember, as Revelation chapter 1 tells us, that we can be hopeful people because God always has been, always is, and always will be with us no matter what. And more than that, it promises us that God is for us and will one day return for each and every one of us. And so today I want to continue in this truth-telling book that often uses poetry or song or what feels like coded language from this vision to reveal deep truths to us. And today I want to jump ahead a few chapters. We're going to read from the book of Revelation chapter 5 this time. I'm going to read verses 11 through 14. It says, Then I looked, And I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands singing with full voice. Worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Here ends our reading today. As we read this text, some of it I think is a little more clear perhaps than last week, while others of it, parts of it perhaps still doesn't make any sense. Uh, But central to this passage, it tells us that thousands upon thousands of angels and other living creatures and elders, they all together surround, it says, a throne. 
Now, at first, we don't really know much about this throne. We don't know what it is. We don't know why it's important. And instead of first opening up by telling us what is on the throne, John first seems to focus on what is around it. We are told there are angels, which perhaps suggest that there is something supernatural or extraordinary that is about to be revealed here. It isn't just the angels around the throne, though. There are also, it tells us, as Sandy pointed out in an unexpected way, there are creatures of every sort there. And for me, this is a fun scene to imagine. I love that it tells us that every creature is not only there, but they are in harmony together in one place. None of these creatures, we are told, are afraid with the kind of fear that scripture often, scripture often tells us to have in those moments when angels appear. Often in scripture, along with an angel, come the words, do not be afraid. And it strikes me that this time it's different because as they surround the throne, they seem to already inherently know there's no reason to be afraid. Instead, there is what we, what I imagine to be this peaceful gathering of all the creatures from the angels to our animals we know and love. I like to imagine like our dogs or our cats or our birds or maybe our turtles or the other ones that we don't think of too, right? We also think of things that we don't often think of like the chinchillas and the elephants, right? maybe some praying mantises, I don't know, all the creatures in one place, it tells us. And I think that's really fun to imagine, even though we don't yet know why they've gathered. Chinchillas, by the way, is still my favorite response I've ever heard a child say. Whatever is happening in this scene, one thing we can know from this, this simple verse before us is that this throne has captured the attention of all of creation. And as I think of that, as our flowers begin to bloom, right, I think of how perhaps even the sunflowers, because it doesn't just say the breathing creatures, it says all of creation. And I think of the sunflowers even turning to face and worship the throne as the trees that blow bend a little bit to be closer. And lest we be forgotten, of course, it's worth naming that when the elders are there, that doesn't just mean the fancy people among us or the important humans among us. They represent all of creation. So you and I could be there as well. All of creation is in this place that is more diverse than imaginable, where thousands upon thousands gather and sing together. And for this moment, we don't know how long or brief it may have been, but all that seems to matter in this moment is the throne in all of heaven or earth. And as we're told that these groups of people encircled one after the other, what, how I imagine this is almost like an eccentric circle, Right? I gave an example of one on the screen. I don't know what it would look like, but if each color represented a different group, I wonder if you can imagine that with me. I picture the throne in the middle surrounded by the angels in the inner ring. 
surrounded by a ring or two or 10 of animals and all those living creatures, surrounded by a huge multitude of more circles of people as a crowd of thousands upon thousands upon thousands all turn towards this centerpiece to whom all have gathered and lifted their voices together to sing, worthy is the lamb. The lamb we know then is why they have gathered. Worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. The lamb here is an unmistakable reference to Jesus. After all, scripture tells us more than once that Jesus is the lamb. We've maybe heard this language, even if we don't fully understand it. Uh, It happens many times in scriptures that we have this reference, for example, in the opening chapter of the Gospel of John, we are told that when John the Baptist first encounters Jesus, he introduces him to the crowd by saying, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God. And Jesus, we know, is not just the Lamb of God, but he is the Lamb who was slaughtered, who by now has ascended as the ruler of all living things. And so if these circles that we imagine of thousands upon thousands upon thousands have gathered to praise the worthy Lamb and throne, as if that alone weren't enough of a beautiful picture to behold, it goes on to tell us there's more. Every living creature, it says, from those like the chorus of angels in the highest heaven all the way down to those, I love that it says in the lowest depths of the ocean, like I imagine those places where life shouldn't survive, right? But it somehow finds a way anyway. All of those creatures unite together reminding us that there's no living being or creature or part of creation in any place who has not joined together. So then these circles that we imagine are not just this small plate gathering place, but the whole of the universe that have turned towards one center. Can you picture that with me a bit? And together they sing to the one and the only who's seated on the throne singing words of blessing and honor and glory and might upon Jesus. Now, as much as I'd love to go on and on and talk about how much I love this imagery, part of why I love it, by the way, have you ever been in a crowd or in a packed church or at a concert, or my favorite is at a Christian concert with, and you are surrounded by thousands or maybe tens of thousands of people who sing a worship song together? If you have ever had that experience, you know how powerful that has been. And that's what I imagine here, but like tenfold. To be surrounded with more than can be counted in all of creation who worship together. And as this happens in this passage, part of what I marvel at is how powerful that would be. But part of what I wonder is why they're doing this and what it might mean. Specifically, what it might have meant to those who originally heard it, as we know the context to whom it was written is different than ours, and how does that translate to what does it have to say to us today? Because among other things, I cannot help but to imagine that this centering of all of creation that focuses on the throne of God 
I think it's an invitation for us to remember one of the most fu fundamental foundational truths of why we ever gather in faithful community like we have tonight. And that is in part to be reminded that we are not the center. As much as sometimes it may feel like the whole world revolves around what's going on in our little bubble, well, this is a good reminder that that's never actually the case. There's always a bigger picture at work in our community and world and in all of creation around us. And for many of us, of course, this seems like a really basic and obvious truth, right? But for some of us, we know, and maybe some more than others, though we won't call anyone out, we've, we've got to put ourselves there too, though, don't we? Because we like to think sometimes that we're the center of the universe, not even in intentional ways. I'm not trying to pick on anybody here, but we do this, don't we? There are days when we think that some, or feel maybe more than we think, that some of the biggest problems of the world are the ones that we are personally facing and wrestling with. We get caught up in our own bubbles and we forget about the people around us. And as I think about the big and small ways that we do that in our lives, I'm reminded of words of a good friend of mine. Uh, a few years back, I was a part, I had a circle of friends. We called ourselves Women of Faith, and we would meet about every other week to just check in over lunch and see how God was at work in our lives. And one of my dear friends that was a part of this little women's group that I was a part of had a mantra that she would often use to keep us from getting focused on ourselves in this way. And she would often repeat the phrase, God is God and I am not. God is God and I am not. Now that's a nice saying on its own. But what makes it memorable for me is, well, first I'll say it's a nice saying for obvious reasons, isn't it? But what made it memorable for me was the number of times that she or one of us, because it got a little contagious, would bring this up as a centering of like, hey, God's going to work way beyond this problem that's going on in your life. God's in control here. It meant it as an invitation to lean in and to trust and to know that God's got this even when it doesn't feel like it. But probably almost half of the times that she or one of us would try to say this phrase, what would accidentally come out of our mouths would be, I am God and God is, nope, nope, that's not how that goes. And we would almost every time stop ourselves. But how often do we start to live in a way that we want God to be God and to remember I'm not? But sometimes we live like we are God and forget about the one whom we're called to trust in. Now, this is what we often would laugh about as a Freudian slip because it was never intentional to say this or to live in that way. And so we kept living as women of faith who would correct one another as we understood the importance of these words and how our actions can slip away from it. And that's important because here in Revelation 5, I think John is telling us this truth in his own words. The truth and the invitation and the reminder that we too need to keep God, the lamb, the throne at our center. Because there, when there is any one or thing else that is at our own center instead, we run the risk of turning away from God and away from our call to care for one another. 
We run the risk of believing the lie that any one person or being or part of creation should bow at our feet or listen to our commands or even just go with my whims and discretions because I said so. We run the risk of caring about and centering our own experiences so much that we forget our call and our responsibility to love God first and to love our neighbor as a very close second. We run the risk of forgetting our responsibility to care for one another, not just the people around us, but all of creation around us. And to do that as we keep God at our center on the throne is to remember these truths that if God is that orange dot in the middle of the circle, then we are called always to be looking inward toward God. And as we do so, because we, the people, per this text, are on the outside circle, right? With all the animals and the creation and angels in front of us. That means that as we look toward God, we cannot miss the myriad creatures that are in front of us and around us and who are lifting up their voices to seek and to honor and to praise and to bless God. And so in this way, this vision that reminds us of this centerpiece is not just about what what life might look like at the end of time, but it's about keeping our own priorities in check in our present too. Because life isn't just about what's coming, it's about how we're living it here today. And in the same way, it's not about just always being comfortable or serving ourselves, but it's about living a worshipful life that keeps God at our center. It's about pleasing and honoring God with all that we say, with all that we do, with all the ways that we interact with one another. And to live in this way, Revelation tells us, is to live a worshipful life life. And to not worship just in this one hour in which we gather that we call worship, which maybe is our fault a little, but to live in a way that is worshipful all the time, in all the places, to honor God with everything that we do inside this building, but also and perhaps especially when we are beyond it. Or to put it in another way, to live and to worship in this way, is to live a life that remembers and lives into the truth, that says all that we do points toward the truth that God is God and we are not. It's pretty good news, isn't it? This reminder and this hope and this truth and this invitation that the love of God that is greater and bigger and more incredible than any big storm that rolls through, however scary it may be and however awful circumstances may be in the immediate aftermath. We know that our God is greater still and will be with us through that journey. We know that John's story here is a challenge then to inspire us, to help us to look beyond the struggles of this world and to remember that our God is bigger and more powerful and more hardworking and more full of love than any other thing or or person or event that we could look towards. And so sometimes when 
the world might feel a little overwhelming or when it feels like we have nothing in comparison to the hard things that we're surrounded by. And there are a lot of hard things in our lives and around our lives. But even and perhaps especially in those moments, we know that our God is bigger. And the Lamb of God is revealed in this world. And it is in this world that we get to live with one eye towards heaven and our feet firmly planted as we remember always the one who is on the throne, who calls calls us to worship with all that we are, all that we long to be, and all that we ever will be. Let's pray together. God of love and of grace, God who is our center to whom we are called always to be pointed and looking. Help us this and every day to keep you at our center as we seek to honor you with all of our lives, all of who we are, all of whom we interact with. God, help us to know that you, our center, our throne, our lamb, are a gift in whom we can trust and rely this and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for the First Church Message of the Week. To stay connected, subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Facebook. For more information on our church calendar, visit our website at watertownfirst.church. This has been the First Church Message of the Week.